Chapter 1. Returnal. 202 AR. After Rebirth. The previous day had proven tedious. Walking through the sludge produced by the exotic runoffs of the Morrow Mountains had tired Solomon's legs and forced him to stop earlier than he would have liked. As the sun set underneath clouds fogging the horizon, Solomon watched the array of blue and orange light trying desperately to pierce the veil of gray. He smiled to himself as he broke sticks over his knees, throwing them down in the pile surrounded by rocks. Solomon had realized from birth that he was something different, something special. But of course, at the time, he didn't know that being special was what made him the target for a horrible life of oppression. This, special, was no other than being an elder. Some are born with the gift or curse of living for thousands of years. The ability of eldership doesn't discriminate. It picks its candidates at random, and from there spreads through the genes of the family. Much like the sex of your child, there is half a chance that your offspring is granted eldership, and half that they live to the plump age of 80 before dying, which is otherwise a speck in the lifetime of an elder, a speck of Solomon's life that he has experienced before, and rather painfully. He shook his head as remembered all the things he had left behind, withering away in the fruitful down of Tavern Keep. Because, of course, there wasn't a day when he didn't think about turning back around and running back through the gates of his home and returning to his family. What little of it was left, anyways. He hadn't even stayed around long enough to know if his son was truly an elder such as himself. That knowledge, he felt, would only proceed to hurt him further if he heard what he didn't want to. He could only sit around his growing fire with a foggy head of memories, swimming through ignorance that drifted him down a steep shore. Come daylight, we'll need to find some more food. A young, inexperienced Tui spoke from behind their carriage. He fiddled with the large cloth, shoving his hands down into the bottom and wiggling around until he found his bag. For a brief moment, he struggled to get it over the lip of the carriage, but eventually tugged it into his arms. The Tui had dark blue skin, his ears pointed and long, and his eyes rather large and buggy. When he blinked, it was slow and tiring to even look at. But what the Tui lacked in looks, he more than made up for in potential, in many forms. Come daylight, we'll be gone. The graveyard is only a few dozen miles from here, so we may even reach it before the next sunrest if we keep a steady pace, Solomon said, throwing more kindle into the hungry fire. The cool breeze swallowed up the smoke, drifting it eastward right into the Tui's squinting face from behind the carriage. Solomon himself was pure elf, dark golden skin with short pointed ears and slightly slanted eyes. His hair was short, brown and curly, and his beard and mustache had grown to fit it. He hadn't shaved properly in well over 14 years, and it really hadn't been on his mind much as each passing winter, he was glad he hadn't done it. He kept his dark crimson-red cloak tight around his neck, vastened together at the throat with a special cloak brooch with the design of his old tavern's post sign. A wooden circle with a detailed vine of grapes, plump and ready to be squeezed into a fine wine. I've been hearing things in the towns we've been passing. The Tui spoke again, seemingly ignoring his previous statement. Perhaps he didn't want to acknowledge the exhausting trip any further. What sorts of things, Hymar? Solomon asked, 
almost disinterestedly as he kept his eyes fixated on the fire flickering before them. Hymar came around the carriage and sat himself down on a wet, supple log, decaying on the inside as it had been ripped from its place long ago and was now used as a bench. Well, in Burnstill, a young million came to me expressing his fear for the coming war, Hymar said with a worried, anxious look. He batted around a rock on the dirt with a stick he'd just found, shoveling it back and forth as he flicked his eyes up and down, waiting for his anxiety to be shared. But naturally, Solomon found it deep within himself to simply not care. Whatever war is brewing is of no concern to us. Some petty civil war is of no interest to us, you hear me? Solomon shook his head, tossing a broken branch into the fire. The flame thanked him as it curled upwards with a whip of its tail, spitting embers into the sky. That's the strange thing. In Porahol, a Tyrion told me about this war, too, and said it was all coming from Dejira. Hymar knew this would catch his attention, finally. And he was right. Solomon looked up from the bundle of sticks in his hand with a curious brow. The Dust Queen. He spoke, not as a question, but as a statement of utter horror and disbelief. The bundle of sticks fell from his hands into the fire, ashes spewing out like a stone into water. His hands slid over his face, rubbing his eyes as he tried to process what he was hearing. The forest around them grew ever darker, the last bit of purple in the sky dimming into a dark blackish blue. But of course, the large beating planet overhead still lit the ground with its iconic orange-red glow. But she's been dead for centuries, right? I figured it wasn't true since that Dejira invasion had been so long ago, and since the Dust Queen had perished in the freezing waters of the Mountainrath Sea. Hymar recited what little information he knew about the Dust Queen from his short time in school. The books he had read were mostly knowledge that had escaped him once he was fending for himself in the streets of Torchill. The history of Jorick had become the last thing on his mind rather quickly. That is, once he didn't know when his next meal would be. The Dust Queen was never found. Her ship was in battle, yes, and it sank, yes. But as her men's bodies bobbed up to the surface, hers never did. So some think she may have slipped away amidst the peak of battle. But the men upon our allied ships never reported seeing any paddle boats dismount from the ship. Some say magic. Some say she hid in the bottom deck and her body simply never found its way out. But in the end, no one can truly say they've ever seen Breeler Froth dead. Solomon hid his own opinion, which was that she was much more clever than people had been giving her credit for. He always assumed that she must have used a waypoint portal to beacon herself back to safety when she realized she was losing. He had seen it be done before, in large battles between nations. Almost always being the nation's commanding officers or captains or their kings flaking when the battlefield grew too warm for their liking. Where does this leave us then? What do these people fear? Hymar yearned for some sort of closure, a closure that Solomon knew he wouldn't be able to provide. It leaves us right where I said before. It is none of our concern, as they are simply rumors, Solomon asserted. He decided it was best to move them on. Opening his bag, he grabbed the large loaf of bread bundled with thick fabric tied together with a neat knot. Undoing the fabric, the stale bread lays out on his lap, to which he gives a look to Hymar as if to ask him if he wanted any. 
He nodded happily, and Solomon tossed him over a slice of it, grabbing one for himself before tying the knot once again and slipping the half loaf back into his bag. Have you ever been to Fernrath? Solomon suddenly proposed the question, poking the fire and laying the charred sticks down evenly. Hymar looked up at the elf as he bit into his food, struggling to swallow the dry bread as he thought through his answer. Of course, it's close enough to Torchill that I would sneak down there occasionally. I don't know why I didn't just leave and live there to begin with. I suppose it might be that no one really knew me there and cared. Whereas Torchill, no one cares about a homeless Tui running amok. Hymar chuckled to himself as he took another bite from his bread. But have you ever seen the swollen graveyard? I mean, when you went near there. Solomon pushed further. He knew all about Hymar and his days as a homeless boy living in the streets of one of the harshest cities in Hyvac, but he wanted to know more if he was going to be traveling with him as far as he thought they would. Oh no, whenever I went down there, at least someone was making a ruckus about Pebble Root Forest. Always talk about some Gerinian stragglers still creeping around in there. I know I shouldn't believe them, but I never really had any reason to go near there, so... His thoughts trail off as he seems to grow more numb with each word. He blinked tiredly, remembering a time when he stood in front of the forest tree line, wondering exactly what might be lurking beneath the shade of the naked trees. Such rumors are not always ridiculous. Solomon flashed a serious glare to his companion across the smoke. But Hymar couldn't help but smile. Says the elf that just told me to ignore such rumors. This is different. I know there are still Jorinian alive. I've seen them for myself. Felt their claws scratch my skin, smelled their acidic spit seep from their gnarled teeth. Solomon's description can't help but make Hymar's skin crawl, though there was still a layer of disbelief. More so, Hymar assumed he was just messing with him for the sake of it. Somehow I disbelieve you. Hymar forced himself to grin, shoving down the deep pit his stomach produced by the thought of such a creature still being alive. He had heard hundreds of stories of the war against the Jorinian 200 years before, tales of horror from every corner of Hyvac. He heard that the Jorinian were made of steel, born with green scales that were nearly impenetrable. But much like the purgers of the necromantic purge, they seemingly disappeared from existence after a period of time. It looked like a losing battle, as the final stand of the war had taken place in his home of Torchill long before he was born. But just as all seemed lost, the Jorinian began to dig into the ground and never came back up. They've been trickling out over the past few decades, small groups of four or five, creating connections to the surface and building a network of tunnels. It's an obvious observation as we know for a fact we didn't win that war. They spared us. Solomon's anger bubbled, snapping twigs loudly and throwing them into the flames. For now, anyways but I have always suspected that they would come back, and yet every kingdom seems to want to pretend they never even existed. That seems rather ignorant, Hymar observed timidly. Solomon opened his mouth to speak, but stopped as he saw the look on his partner's face and calmed himself, hushing his tone. Yes, ignorance. He sniffled, shaking his head slowly. Though this is what you've been taught, so I can't blame you for not knowing any different. Despite the assurance from Solomon, Hymar couldn't help but feel slightly ridiculous. He had been taught to believe they had won, that they had scared off the forces of evil. 
Any kids or teachers trying to say otherwise were swiftly scowled and verbally abused. It had become heresy to even suggest they hadn't killed off every last Jorinian, though history declares the day of the crawling very well. Does this have anything to do with what we are doing? Hyman suggested, shuffling on the log to inch closer to the elf. Solomon looked over the flames with a curious look, as though he'd been caught and wondered how. I've been intentionally vague, Torch, but I suppose I can't keep you in the dark forever. Torch was a common term for a resident of Torchill, as they weren't exactly seen as the average person. Life in Torchill was unusual and cruel, often described as a fever dream. The swollen graveyard is home to a man, who I've been told has something of great value to us. Hymar sensed he was still being vague and gave him a slight look of disapproval. Of great value, how? Hymar insisted, leaning in onto his knees. Great value as in the very origin of the creation of the Jorinian race, Solomon said with the straightest, most genuine look Hymar had been given thus far. But all this brought upon was a great wave of confusion. Created! Hymar squeaked, taking a sip from his water skin to ease his drying throat. Solomon looked to the sky, the planet of Corotera swelling with heat high above their heads. The infinite, never-ending storm of red dust clouded the sky of the atmosphere. The rain is said to be as hot as magma festering deep in the throat of a volcano. The Gerinian didn't exist before that war. They just suddenly sprung into existence at a time of dire hurt, but I've finally been able to locate what could very well be the cause of their existence. Solomon undid his cloak, laying it down next to him as he then began to smother the fire out. Ashes pouted, spilling up as the smoke made its final push to the heavens. Let's get our rest then. We leave at sunrise. The two quickly set up their mats, and as they laid their head down, they both began to ponder what the next day would have in store for them. As the sun tore its way above the horizon with blistering summer heat, the two had already been long gone from the forest they had rested in. Packing their belongings into the carriage, they gave their horse one good pat, and they were on their way. Solomon had been reluctant to bring an entire carriage, but as their quest went on, it became more and more clear that what they hoped to find would require more than just their hands to carry home. Hymar still didn't like the lack of understanding of what exactly they were doing, but he wasn't going to deny the one who had lifted him from the ashes of Torchill's dirty streets and given him a purpose. A purpose was all he ever wanted, and all he was never granted. For most of his life, it had been simply to stay alive, to find food, find water that wasn't bobbing with sewage. Solomon had found him and decided to take him in at his most lowest point, and for that, Hymar would keep his mouth shut and one foot in front of the other. See that? Right across that prairie? Solomon pointed at a dense forest that looked several miles away across a deep golden field of wheat. They had reached the edge of it, the forest behind them stopping as it met the grain. Pebble root? Right, the backside of it anyways. Pebble root isn't too large and wide, but the swollen graveyard still could be easy to miss. Solomon tugged on the reins, pulling the horse and thus the carriage forward and into the field. Hymar leapt up the side and held on to the support as they began rocking through the wheat, the ground below much smoother than that of the forest. Looking far above the field, he saw the pine trees making up the forest of pebble root. 
tall and scrappy, pointy and dripping with sap, and spewing with hundreds of pine cones ready to paint the ground. Why is that? Hymar crawled along the side of the carriage and found his way next to Solomon. Hymar had become an excellent climber over the years, having been forced to climb buildings during rainy seasons that would flood the streets of Torchill up to the highest windows of the buildings. But more importantly, to escape guards when he had been caught stealing from vendors. Because there is no clearing for the graveyard, it's simply baked inside of it. He works around the roots and trees, placing headstones where they fit. But he's said to live in a small chapel made of stone, which I guess is much easier to make out. He chuckled to himself slightly, looking at Hymar, who was busy watching the long streak of wheel marks they were creating in the wheat. I guess he built it himself, or that's what I've been told. Think we'll see a brotroll? Hymar asked with bewilderment, standing up to look even higher over the field. The wheels bumped, and for a moment he felt himself fall before catching the rim of the carriage. Solomon gave his excitable partner a playful eye roll, yanking the horse to the side to make him stumble around even more. If there was one thing that Solomon had caught on to, it was that Hymar had no perspective of the dangers of the real world. So far, he'd been constantly fantasizing about seeing ronks and bongols, orcs and trolls, or any other variety of green beasts. It was clear that Hymar hadn't ever really encountered any lick of danger in his life thus far, and Solomon was trying his best to prepare him for such an occasion, because the journey ahead was everything but clear of danger. It's a possibility. Solomon watched as his partner leapt from the carriage into the wheat, preferring to walk alongside the cart as his legs were beginning to grow stiff already. He never did know how to sit still for long. Have you ever seen a brothel? Hymar hung close to the horse, patting its neck to inspire it. I have seen one, up close even. It had the stench of pure, rotten meat. Solomon recalled the day he had been hung upside down, his sword swinging wildly in his hand as he tried to cut the rope holding him. The blood rushed to his head as the trees shifted and bluish-green monsters began to spill from the foliage. A terrible moment in history for him. You seem to like to remember the smell of your encounters. Hymar chuckled, beginning to skip ahead and swoosh his hands through the wheat like a seagull skimming the ocean surface. Solomon watched his childishness with innocence, hoping he hadn't done more damage than good by bringing him along. Then again, he reminded him much of his son. His son he had left behind long ago, long, long ago. Memories fade, faces, little details. But the smells, they always seem to linger. At least the bad ones, anyhow. Solomon shrugged, the forest reaching ever closer. It felt like their journey from Bright Rock had only been a few days ago, but they had really been traveling for weeks now. Their rations were depleting, so Solomon knew once they reached Fernrath, they would have to take the time to rest and acquire resources, no matter how much of a breakthrough they may have made. He was hopeful that this lead would be a success, but of course, he kept his expectations low as he couldn't afford to lose any morale. He had already been through enough. Another blow to the end might be the end for him. Here. Solomon suddenly found himself back in his own mind, the carriage rolling to a stop as the horse reared away from the wall of trees before them. The Tui stepped forward, placing a hand on one of the trees, feeling the rough surface of the jagged pine tree. They had always been his favorite tree, 
as the outside of Torchill is covered with them. He would sneak outside the walls at night and climb them to their very tops, throwing pine cones down to later throw at guards when they weren't looking. It was how he got his name, the Pinecone Kid. That was his name, not Hymar, but Pinecone. His so-called street friends called him that name until the very day Solomon had stepped into his life. Hymar picked up a pinecone from off the ground, feeling it prick his finger, the sap oozing out over his nails. A moment of peace as he remembered the simple moments of life where he sat upon trees and stared at Coratera until the mesmerizing swirl of clouds stirred him to sleep. He laughed as he remembered the jarring feeling of awaking on top of a tree and almost falling from surprise. It was always the first few seconds of remembering where you were and who you even are that always got him. The forest is really dense. I don't think Whip will fit through there, Hymar pointed out, stepping up to the horse and laying a hand on her mane. She breathed heavily as she had grown tired from the day of traveling. I see that, but I don't like the idea of just leaving her and our stuff out here in the open. Let's see if we can squeeze her in somewhere and get her out of sight at least. Solomon got down from his perch, keeping his reins in his hands, the two walked along the edge of the forest until they found a large enough gap to slip Whip and the carriage into. It was tight, but she was sufficiently hidden from the open field, and at the very least brought a little bit of peace and mind to the both of them. Now what? We just wander around until we find this swole graveyard? The swollen graveyard. And yes, it's really our only choice. Just keep an eye out for that chapel. The two begin to push into the forest. Keeping close together, they enjoyed the comfort the shade of the trees provided. So why does it have a fancy name? Hymar asked, his feet shuffling through the brown dead needles of the trees. Solomon whipped his cloak around him, sap already accumulating at the bottom. Let's just say he doesn't keep a lot of distance between the deceased. Man, everything's always has to have some silly name. How else will you remember its importance, Torch? Solomon kicked a pine cone as hard as he could, sending it spiraling deeper into the forest. The floor was plushy, almost bouncy from moisture and wet needles. Do you call me a torch just to frustrate me? Hymar stopped, scoffing. No, of course not. Sorry, it's just a habit. I haven't had an entirely good history with a lot of torches. Solomon palmed his face, realizing his shortcomings at being a decent person. He had nothing against Hymar and in fact enjoyed his company a lot. But every once in a while, the lingering reminder of his origins would slip back into his mind, and his lips would speak for him. That's all right. I'm used to the ridicule anyways, he said sourly. The two kept walking, though this time it was in relative silence, 